From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. And in this week's episode, we'll talk about what America's foreign policy might look like in a Joe Biden White House, especially when it comes to China. Here to talk about it with us is Todd Mariano. He is U.S. Director at Eurasia Group uh, and a foreign policy analyst. Todd, good to have you with us. Lots to dig into here, but want to start with with Joe Biden. If he were to win uh, come November, you say he would abandon President Trump's America first approach. And I think for some people, they might think that means, okay, all will be okay with China. He'll roll back the tariffs and uh, we won't have this contentious relationship with China. Um, are they right to think that? Well, it's good to be with you, Alexis and, and Rick, and thank you for having me on. I don't think they're right to think that because there are uh, structural problems in the US-China relationship that have been building up for a long time. Obviously, uh, Donald Trump brought his own perspective on these matters and his own methods for dealing with them uh, to his presidency, but he did not create the landscape uh, of the relationship. And in a lot of ways, I think that landscape is going to outlast him. So I, my general assumption is that Biden is going to employ a different approach towards China, but that uh, certainly will not magically mean that all of the uh, problems in the relationship, all of the irritants, and uh, I think a bit more darkly, all of the ways in which the U.S. and China's uh, national interests are starting to fundamentally clash. Todd, Todd what, is, what has Joe Biden actually said about um, China and what his approach to China would be and how it might differ from Trump? I haven't heard him say much about this at all. Well, at the moment, the Biden campaign is actually running ads portraying uh, President Trump as uh, weak on China. And this is, I, I think, a, a strategy that the campaign is is testing so that I think they recognize that Biden's record at minimum leaves him open to charges from Trump that he's soft on China, because for most of his career, uh, Biden, you know, was was sort of part of the the standard Washington consensus, which had existed, you know, really since Nixon went to China in the 1970s, which was uh, engage with China rather than uh, oppose China. Uh, you know, Biden supported giving a uh, granting permanent normal trading relations uh, with with China. He supported China's accession to the WTO. Uh, he commented on the campaign trail, although he tried to immediately walk it back. But sometime last year, I believe it was last summer, that China is not really uh, a threat to the United States, which seemed to be a conception of China more from the early 2000s, where the idea was bring China into uh, the international system rather than uh, trying to you know, confront and uh, contain them. But now the campaign I think is moving more towards how do we how do we square the circle that Biden and other Democratic primary candidates laid out for us, which was that we would still confront China where it's in America's interest to do so, but we would do that in a less disruptive way uh, than Trump. I'm not sure. Uh, in fact, I'm actually fairly sure that the the campaign doesn't have a, a detailed policy answer to that yet. But I think that's the problem that they're uh, that they're setting for themselves, which is a bit more confrontational of posture than Biden's been used to uh, during his his long years in Washington. 
Do you think this is, is this an issue where Biden really needs to have a clear policy, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, let's keep in mind here, you know, this election is most likely to turn on what happens in six or eight swing states. We keep repeating that here because we, this, this is just the way it's going to go. It's Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, let's say. Um, how much does China as an issue even matter in those places? That's a, it's a good question. And you're absolutely right about uh, the Electoral College being the correct framework for, for looking at, at the election rather than uh, the popular vote, which, uh, you know, I expect Biden to win handily. I, I think that China does matter in those states. It's different in each state for sure. The more agricultural states certainly have been impacted by uh, the trade war with China and you know Chinese retaliation uh, to, uh, to Trump's tariffs. And uh, they've therefore also been helped, uh, at least theoretically, by Chinese promises to buy more uh, agricultural goods. You know, the, the manufacturing states, I'm not sure that, you know, beyond some high profile instances that in a structural sense, manufacturing has begun to move back to the United States. We do see impact on supply chains uh, or at least nodes of those supply chains starting to move out of China or um, or at least contemplate moving out of China, but that doesn't mean you know a new renaissance in in U.S. manufacturing. I mean, you know, from the from a business perspective, uh, the bottom line is is what is what matters. So there is support certainly in Washington on both sides of the aisle for for manufacturing moving back, but we haven't really seen that um, to a significant sense uh, as as a result of uh, President Trump's China policy. So I think that would matter for a lot of those states because they are uh, states where manufacturing once flourished and and then you know famously dried up. But I I, I don't think that they're that they're seeing um, that major new leg up. So China matters there for them uh, both short term and long term. Does Biden need an absolutely detailed? playbook of what he's going to do with China on the campaign trail? No, he, he mainly needs some, uh, you know, some, some campaign slogans and a general conception for, for what he's going to do uh, with China. But this I see as a major question mark for, for markets and for, um, you know, multinational businesses in 2021 is that policy formation process, because that won't be resolved. Biden wins before he takes office. It won't be resolved in the transition. Uh, this will be a, a major output of his, uh, of his say, his first year in office with various camps, you know, arguing for various things, and and he's got to be the one uh, to arbitrate between them. But that's, that's something that will take some time. So um, let, let's just talk about this situation with China at the moment. Uh, I mean, it, it's a volatile relationship between the United States and China right now. Uh, in part because of uh, what President Trump has tried to do on trade, but also China now passing this new national security law with regard to Hong Kong. It looks like like a like a crackdown on Hong Kong is coming, and that's going to be uh, probably a, glo a global hotspot in that in, in, in that sense. Um, do you think by election day, um, President Trump is going to be able to? I think he will declare victory on China, whether there's a victory or not, but. Will he be able to plausibly claim that he actually got anything done with regard to China at all? What do you think about that? 
I think he will certainly claim that the phase one trade deal is, um, you know, again, kind of putting it in his terms, something that that no other president before him uh, had done or was, you know, or was capable of doing, that he's the only president uh, who stood up to China. I mean, certainly in recent history, he's the only uh, president that kind of went toe to toe and punched China in the nose. Uh, in order to get them to the negotiating table. And he will say the phase one deal is an output of that. The the issue kind of from a more analytical perspective is that uh, I think that the major structural problems in the relationship have not been addressed by, by phase one. I think phase one was mainly a way to, um, number one, give Trump, I think, a win for uh, for the campaign trail, and I, I expect him to to market it heavily. Uh, number two, you know, from the perspective of diplomacy, to um, give the two sides some interest in continuing negotiations, which is that you know uh, normally the the conception was nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, and uh, USTR, the U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, kind of leading this in, in the government, uh, changed that to uh, let's lock something in so that both sides have an interest in continuing on to the far more difficult uh, phase two issues uh, rather than, you know, keeping these kind of low level things like agricultural purchases or things like that for, for a later date. I expect, you know, Trump will talk about phase one a good deal on the campaign trail. He, yeah, he already is, already has. Uh, Hong Kong, I think, you know, is a uh, is a potential risk to the trade deal. What's sort of interesting from my perspective, though, is that um, Lighthizer is correct. Both sides have an interest in, in keeping phase one. China does not want uh, new tariffs and Trump does not want to uh, hit markets uh, with new tariffs on China or going back to tariffs, uh, you know, whatever they would decide to do in that in that case, uh, you know, at a time when coronavirus has completely upended uh, the global economy. So in some sense, I think the fight has simply moved on to uh, to other areas. Hong Kong is uh, the most acute of those areas at the moment. But whether it's uh, Trump or Biden in 2021, they will probably have to deal with Taiwan. They will probably have to deal with South China Sea, you know, the, the naval and uh, Air Force exercises that, that took place there over the weekend uh, or were an indicator that the U.S. is um, determined to, to maintain its, its interests there. There are geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic, the whole suite of geo issues between the U.S. and China that well, clearly were not resolved by the phase one trade deal. And I think only get more difficult and more expansive, uh, whether it's Trump or Biden in 2021. Do you see a situation, Todd, where Biden would actually get aggressive, even when it comes to, you know, instituting more tariffs on China? Do you see him perhaps maybe kind of this pe the pendulum swinging and him taking a much harder stance than I think anyone might imagine? And might he, he need to get that across to even win the White House? Alexis, it's like you're suggesting, does he need to out-Trump Trump? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Exactly. Yeah, well, uh, many have tried to out-Trump Trump. All, all, all have failed uh, <laughs> to, to date. But um, I think that uh, 
Biden is certainly, I would say his advisors are trying to push him to that place. And it's against his instincts because his instincts hearken from an era where quiet engagement with Chinese officials was uh, the MO of how Washington dealt with, with China. And uh, again, I, I think his advisors and the, the, far, the leading lights in foreign policy um, in the Democratic Party are trying to come up with a, a new framework for how to deal with China because uh, they will never put it this way. But I do think Trump has, has proven that there are uh, not only issues in the relationship that are affecting Americans uh, right now, um, but he's also proven, I think, that the previous framework for dealing with U.S.-China relations uh, failed to meaningfully constrain China's ambitions on, on the global stage. They failed to uh, prevent the rise of a leader like Xi Jinping, which is a major factor here that I think often gets elided in uh, U.S. discussions of, of U.S.-China policy because it understandably becomes all about Trump. Um, but it's just as much, if not more so, about, about Xi Jinping, in, in my view. Uh, and they, you know, they, they really failed to um, bring China into the system rather than China joining that system, using it to its advantage and trying to turn international institutions toward its own interests, which is what rising global powers do. So I think that Democrats are, are simply uh, recognizing reality and trying to push Biden to a more uh, confrontational posture where he'll differ from Trump is that um, I think he will try to get more aggressive, but he will try to do so with the Europeans on his side, with Five Eyes countries. Um, he will try a more multilateral approach. Uh, I'm, I, I tend to be skeptical of how much that approach could work, or at least how quickly, because in, in the past, you know, we've seen a lot of multilateral approaches that um, sound nice. There's a great communique, but, uh, you know, the actual deliverables have been uh, not not really noteworthy. What's different this time is that uh, I think Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, there is a, a strong consensus among the uh, democratic developed countries that uh, the problems in the their relationships with China, the problems with China's economic strategy, the problems with China's geopolitics have now have now come to a head. So I do think they are more determined uh, than ever before to put real skin in the game and join the U.S. in in confronting, uh, you know, China, and uh, that works to the advantage of Biden, whose instincts will say, uh, "Let's not be pugnacious. Let's not let's not go it alone." However. This is a problem that we need, need to deal with. In fact, I would say whoever the president is in 2021, even 2024 and, and on, this is the major problem that, that they need to deal with because this is a transformation of the world that we've known since the end of the Cold War. Todd, I read your research. Um, you've, you've mentioned here uh, the people advising Joe Biden on China, uh, and I've seen some of the names you've uh, mentioned uh, in some of your reports. Could you just tell us, uh, I think these are, people that are well-known inside the Beltway, but not outside the Beltway. Can you just tell us a couple of the people likely, if Biden were to win, likely to emerge as 
whatever it might be, his trade representative or whoever would end up being the point, uh, secretary of state, obviously, who might end up being the person actually dealing with this issue on the ground in a Biden administration? Sure. It's, a, it's always a big question for uh, for a transition. And, and naturally, there's a lot of jockeying for for positions and, uh, you know, uh, tryouts, so to speak, that that happen long before the election actually uh, takes place. Um, you know what what we see and hear so far. Uh, number one, the, the campaign, both on foreign and economic policy, has has actually, at least publicly, Played its cards very close to the vest in terms of um, who is who is actually you know the most uh, influential, and in in both cases uh, the the cast of of folks who are who are actually uh, in our understanding influential behind the scenes are a, a, a smattering of Obama officials, people who served Biden in the uh, Obama administration, um, Clinton. Uh, administration officials and uh, and certainly some senators and I, I think all of that speaks to Biden's longevity in in Washington. Um, you know what what we see though is that it it's tended to be more kind of at the uh, deputy level so far. Um, and you know in, you mentioned Secretary of State, you know National Security Advisor, uh, certainly a a, a big. Cog in the Washington foreign policy machine. Uh, there we see uh, William Burns, Bill Burns, who was a, a career foreign service uh, officer who rose to deputy secretary of state, was you know highly involved with um, all sorts of things, especially in the Middle East and the Iran nuclear deal uh, during during the Obama administration. Secretary of Defense. Most people in Washington believe that Michelle Flournoy. Uh, will be the first female Secretary of Defense under under Biden. Uh, you know, in in all of these um, positions for national security, I think that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, uh, whose ascendancy has has been you know quite clear since 2016 and never more clear than in the the 2020 primary, um, will try to affect these personnel decisions, particularly if Democrats uh, retake the Senate, which is uh, you know. A, a big question mark, I think, for um, for November, but now probably more likely than not to happen. Um, but you know, the progressive wing is is usually more focused on uh, domestic policy than foreign policy. Foreign policy, they they seem to follow the Sanders and and frankly Trump um, policy of just not embroiling the U.S. in you know major new. Uh, foreign wars, uh, but there's there's a lot of other names that are that are involved in this. Uh, Kurt Campbell, um, who's a, a longtime Democratic um, foreign policy uh, official and, uh, and and leading mind, uh, Eli Ratner and uh, and Tony Blinken are are the names that uh, you know most often get mentioned and who are clearly, I think, um, very influential on this in the campaign at the moment. Let, let me go back to what is really uh, an important bottom line question for uh, a lot of U.S. businesses and for financial markets. Uh, do you think the, the the tariffs that Trump has imposed would go away if Biden became president? And if they did, what would replace them as a cudgel, if you will, against China? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th I think you've uh, cut straight to the heart of it there. I don't expect that they would go away immediately. I do expect that they would eventually go away. And 
you know, from Biden's perspective, he's he's sort of handcuffed on, on day one of his presidency if he wins, because to simply um, remove the tariffs would give China a, a major win, um, essentially with, without giving anything in return. And I think no U.S. leader is going to do that, whether they agree with the policy or not, which I, I don't believe that Biden does agree with the policy. In general, I expect him to focus on the bilateral trade balance uh, a lot less than Trump and to um, hopefully view the U.S.-China relationship uh, more holistically, more expansively. What that means is that he would remove the tariffs probably as part of a larger deal with China, um, something probably akin to how uh, Trump administration casts uh, phase two. And uh, the tariffs will still be his his cudgel and his interest. So it's actually, um, in, in that sense, at least a, a gift from Trump to Biden, which is that he gets to use the upside of the tariffs uh, without the downside of of being uh, identified with them, um, but that's a process that could take a year or two. So, given that, uh, there's this interesting narrative about what China wants, what the China hopes the outcome of the uh, U.S. presidential election is. So, you would think, given everything you just said, you would think that um, China would like to see Biden win because that's how they get out of the tariffs. But there's this counter narrative um, out of you know, based on some reporting out of Beijing that China actually likes dealing with Trump. They, 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 they think that um, the problems he poses them on trade are worth it because he is weakening the US standing in the world, which is an opportunity for China, and that they would actually like to see China reelected. What, do you have a view on that? That's, um, that's, that's one reason. Uh, a, a very smart former colleague of mine points out that uh, the, you know, the, the Chinese bureaucracy is not as inscrutable as we think. They actually, uh, tip their hand all the time. It's just that very, very few of the ways in which they tip their hand are translated uh, into English. Um, and what I think what you see when you when you review some of their thinking on this is that uh, human rights issues, uh, as well as the sort of you know what you were talking about, which is the the multilateral versus the bilateral or, or unilateral approach. Um, Human rights and a multilateral approach, I think China also views as a threat. So it's it's not all about the, the trade deficit and tariffs for them either. Um, we've seen what they've done in Hong Kong, which uh, happened a lot earlier than a lot of people suspected. Um, we've seen what they've been doing in, in Xinjiang province for a long time. We've seen the wolf warrior diplomacy. I think the Chinese leadership has clearly decided it's time for a more aggressive Chinese foreign policy and that the era of biding their time and hiding their strength uh, is is long since over. So Biden, I, I think for him, the human rights uh, abuses, uh, as they were for Hillary Clinton and for others in the Democratic Party, uh, are very important. When the Chinese think of uh, Nancy Pelosi, they they think back to uh, her appearance in Tiananmen Square. You know, these are critical national interests for China as well. I'm not, you know, espousing their point of view on it or anything like that. It's just, I think, important to understand that from their point of view, these human rights issues are uh, strategic for them. They're about uh, the integrity. Uh, the territorial integrity and the political integrity of the country as they conceive it. And I think they're worried that Biden may be able to 
unite Western opposition to some of these issues. And he may focus on them more than Trump, who has tended to, uh, as other presidents have before, downplay these issues in favor of what he views to be more important uh, U.S. interests in the relationship. I think we can safely bet that uh, China is going to be or play a big part in debates between uh, Trump and Biden if and when we get them leading up to November. But I want to thank Todd Mariano, foreign policy analyst at Eurasia Group, for joining us on this uh, episode of Electionomics. Be sure to rate and review what you just heard and saw and follow me at Alexis TV News on Twitter. Rick? And me at Rick J. Newman. And I don't know how anybody could rate this less than five stars. Where do you get this deep a dive on China relations on air anywhere? It's tough. It is Great to be with you. Tom, do you have a, a Twitter handle or? Um... Uh, I do not. I'm on LinkedIn if people want to connect. Sounds good. You know, LinkedIn doesn't get a lot of love when it comes to, to these promos, but absolutely. Look up Todd Mariano on LinkedIn. And thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.